man, I'm, I'm really glad y'all are here. Um, we are from Rackspace, and uh, I know it's after lunch, and you're carved up, and it's probably a little warm in here, and so we're going to do our best to keep you awake. Now, I'm loud, and he's English, so we'll see if that works at all, um, and I'll translate for him, but I want to talk to you about Groundhog Day. How many of y'all know the movie Groundhog Day? All righty. You remember the, the idea behind Groundhog Day is he was stuck in the same place over and over, huh? Let me ask you this. How many of y'all feel like when you got in the cloud, you felt like you were stuck in the same place? Anybody? Okay, nobody. All right, leave. Next crowd. Okay, so, hey, we, we've already fixed this crowd. So There is a reality to Groundhog Day. There's a reality to Groundhog Day in the cloud that we see a lot. As, as solutions architects for Rackspace, and, and with a lot of, of battle scars of doing solutions architecture for companies, a lot of times when people come to us, the thing they say is, hey, we got into the cloud, but we discovered that it's not quite the magic bullet we thought it would be. Because I think the, the idea is that if I can just get in the cloud, I will have to pay nothing, and there will be no management, right? Because it will just work, right? And I tell you, after yesterday's announcements, we're a lot closer. I will tell you that but we're not quite there yet. So today we want to talk to you about getting out of Groundhog Day, out of transforming, out of moving forward, out of becoming what we like to call cloudy. Um, and so what we're going to do is spend some time talking about how Rackspace approaches that methodology, and then we're going to talk about an example of what that might look like. So I'm going to turn you over to my esteemed colleague James here, and he's going to give you a little of the uh, information here. So. Yeah, so just before we get started, uh, when we finish up, and I'll remind everyone at the end, if you can grab one of these cards from uh, the ladies at the back of the room on your way out, there's a number on the back. If you go to our booth, there is a, uh, a locked box containing, I believe, a Toomey travel kit. Uh, there will guaranteed to be a winner in this room, right? So there's an incentive to pick up a card and come to the booth and say hello and try your luck. Um, so now that the administrative stuff is out of the way, we'll quickly move on. Just introduce ourselves so you know who we are and why we're up here and why we're talking to you. So I'm the token English guy that we bring along to reInvent every year. Uh, Do you guys understand him? Okay. Go All right. me, Governor. Shall I, I English it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah, please do. Dick Van Dyke. Um, so... <laughs> Righto. How was that? <laughs> totally good. <laughs> totally. Right. Uh, we need to stop now. Okay, I'm done. My name's James. Um, I've been with Rackspace a couple of years. Uh, I am what I consider something of a, a scarred or scared cloud veteran, right? So I've uh, worked at AWS, I've worked at Microsoft and Azure. Uh, I've been at Rackspace for the last couple of years building our AWS business. Uh, I look after our solutions architecture team and our evangelism group, uh, and more recently our professional services as well. Uh, so I, I, I've been around the block a little bit when it comes to cloud. I've got some, some painful scars, and we figure that this is a good way to, to try and share that to to help people avoid the pioneer tax as you go through that. Uh, also, because I have absolutely no desire to have any peaceful time of my own, I also have twins and um, spend most of my life chasing them around. Uh, and about four weeks ago, I decided I got two 10-week-old puppies because, you know, life's not busy enough either. But uh, I will hand you back over right. to Eric, and he can introduce himself, and then we'll press on. So so before we get started, let me ask you a question. Has anybody in here, and I know this is an arrogant question, but has anybody in here, <laughs> how's that going? Has anybody in here heard me speak before? Okay, so a couple of you. Do you remember the rules? 
All right, let me tell you the rules. And I know you're thinking to yourself, who are you to make rules? Well, I'm the guy up front with the mic, so I, I do that. So there's a couple of rules when I'm speaking, and they're very important, okay? The first rule is this. This is any number I want it to be, okay? You've already seen me speak a little. I use my hands a lot, uh, and, 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 and I do this. Like, I, you know, I've gone to restaurants, hey, we need a table for seven, and I'm sitting by myself at the bar. So I do that a lot, and if it makes you uncomfortable, I also tell a lot of one-finger jokes, and so uh, if it makes you uncomfortable, then you're going to be uncomfortable <laughs> because I'm not going to change. I'm too old for that. So the second rule is this. How many? Two. <laughs> you're going to one. <laughs> I will not be swayed. So, all right, we got the literalists in the room. So the second rule, I can do two. I can get up to four with my boots off, but that's really awkward. So... Um, <laughs> I, the second rule is this. These are quotes, not apostrophes. <laughs> I know that, okay? I can't tell you how many times I'm like, hey, and so, you know, the other day I was, you know, working, you know. Uh, he's also my boss, so that's always fun. Because right now he's going, he has never worked a day in his life. So I've worked three days. Maybe so, no more. You weren't there for any of them. So, um, but these are quotes, not apostrophes. And, and, and it never fails when I do this that somebody in the back, the is he waving at us? I'm not waving at you. I can't even see you, to be real honest. You guys are just a big white light to me. So I'm trusting there's a crowd because I heard some people chuckle. The final rule is this. This is a thumb. Okay, I do this a lot. My college ID was actually this, so which was really cool. I do this because, you know, these are thumbs. This will get you beat up, right? <laughs> so we, we talk logistics of life and reality. So. Um, but I, I also have been doing AWS for a long time. I actually come up with a background in developing. Uh, I was a customer of Rackspace before I came to work for Rackspace. Uh, I, we, we were some of their, their beta testing. Now, let me tell you in a little bit, you're going to hear him say things like beater and router. That's beta and routers, OK? And I'll, give, I'll translate. A lot of times I sign as he talks, so that doesn't help anybody. Nice. So, um, but I, 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 was, I was a customer of Rackspace's before I came to Rackspace. And I fell in love with Rackspace. I fell in love with what, what they were doing. And I spent a lot of time on AWS. I'm always the guy that just kind of ended up doing it. I'm passionate about public cloud uh, technologies. Uh, I am a father of five. You say twins. That's nothing. I got five kids, okay? And they're, and they're crazy. And, and, and three of them are teenagers. So, you know, go with that. So, uh, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, a husband, I love music, I was a drummer, uh, I'm going to let you think about that for a while. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, I was a drummer through college, so, uh, and, and I drive the coolest, coolest suburban in the world, we call it the urban bourbon. There's no point to that, I just like saying it. So, um, I hope you enjoy what we have to say today. Uh, I really encourage you to listen. We do have a lot of battle scars. Save up questions, ask us questions, uh, and, and you know, we'll be really interactive uh, trying to you know, help you out as much as we can. If you don't get us, come to the booth. We have, we have expertise in the booth that can help you. Uh, get a card, talk to us. So uh, with that, James, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. So I'm just going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, our methodology or the, or the Rackspace way of how we kind of do cloud adoption and how we help people move through that process. Uh, up front, I will say this is not going to be a sales pitch. This is just describing the way we kind of address it with customers. Uh, I will also say up front that there is not a Chevron to be seen on these slides because if you talk to any customer, any partner, anyone, anyone that talks about cloud migration or cloud adoption, there's always a slide with about four or five Chevrons across the top of it. 
all looks the same. So this is a slightly different way of describing it. Uh, and we, we like the way it kind of guides people through on a journey. Uh, and you probably heard everyone talk about cloud being a journey. I'm afraid I can't take that one out. But um, we'll start off. Uh, what we call it, it we, we call it cloud guide, right? So it's our, our, our overall process to, to getting into the cloud. Now, if you come and talk to us, or if you're already a Rackspace customer uh, on AWS, all of our service names are aviation themed, right? So our service levels are Navigator and Aviator, and we have a tool called Compass, and a, another tool called Logbook, and Passport Logbook, Passport Logbook. yeah. Uh, that wasn't you, no. Um, so everything is aviation themed. Cloud Guide is kind of our, our way of getting people into the cloud, and we always take it as a, a high-touch consultative approach, right? So Rackspace traditionally is a managed hosting provider in the past. Uh, we're more of a managed services provider now, and what that means is instead of saying right, how much CPU, how much memory do you need, we say, right, what are you actually trying to achieve? Your workloads you want to move to the cloud, what do they do? What are you trying to achieve by putting them into the cloud? So we go with a consultative approach, and uh, we break it down into four key steps. So I'm going to dive into a little bit of detail on each of the four steps as we go, uh, but just at a high level, the first one is cloud survey. right? So it's kind of self-explanatory when you think about it. This typically is the, the part of the process where we go and discover. We try and understand what a customer or, or a, a company is trying to do with their cloud adoption program. Uh, and there are a number of things that we do in this process, but it really sets us up for the, the rest of the cloud guide approach. After that, we have something called cloud blueprint. Uh, and this is more of our, we've done some discovery, we have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve. We're gonna take our expertise and our experience that we've kind of hard fought for and hard won over the years, and we'll give you a, a blueprint, a high level guide to the journey that we're about to take you upon. Uh, and after that point, we move into cloud path. Cloud path is really where the, I guess the, the nuts and bolts of cloud adoption happen, right? We're talking about migration, greenfield workload, uh, build out uh, and really moving into the cloud in a meaningful way. And then the most important part for us is cloud pilot, right? And cloud pilot is typically the, the, the managed service relationship that you have with Rackspace. You're a customer, it's an ongoing thing. We don't just kind of give you a plane and then step away and say, you know, good luck, hope you don't crash. We're there to either pilot or co-pilot with you. And we can talk about that in a little bit more detail around uh, pilot as well, but we have a couple of different approaches to how we deliver service to people as well. But the important thing is that we've broken it down into this kind of four-step approach so that we can really help a customer move through at the right pace. And this is something we can do on a workload-by-workload workload basis as well. We're not going to go in necessarily and try and boil the ocean in one go. Um, I gave a talk earlier in the week around cloud centers of excellence uh, and how it's important to get something deliverable and actionable out into the world rather than try and do everything at once because you'll never get off the starting blocks. So, moving on, if I dive a little bit into each of the four sections, so cloud survey being the first. So there's three real components in cloud survey that we talk about, so a, a comprehensive readiness report, right? So we go in and we have kickoff meetings with you as a, a customer or a, a, someone looking to move to the cloud and we do a lot of discovery. There's a, a whole ton of questions that we ask and it doesn't mean we come and sit down and just read off a questionnaire sheet and fill in a spreadsheet. We actually adapt it as we move through, depending on the customer, the kind of workloads. So, you know, an organization that's doing e-commerce versus an organization that's in a heavy, heavily regulated industry is going to be a different approach that we take to it. But we come in, we have a kickoff meeting, we go through these questions, and we really build a, an understanding of what you're looking to do and where you are at the moment. Because most companies have tried to move to the cloud. Either successfully they've got a workload on there, but they now need to kind of go big, 
uh, or they're really just stepping into it for the first time. So that readiness report really helps us figure out where we are in the process. We talk about your high-level architecture. What are you trying to achieve? Are you looking at doing something that's uh, set to a single workload in a single AZ because it's just a simple proof of concept? Or are you talking about something more involved, more complicated? I consulted with a customer in the past who decided they were going to go all in on cloud. So I asked them, you know, what's your appetite? What do you, what do you want to move as your first workload? Large media organization. First thing, SAP. The biggest, ugliest, hairiest workload we could possibly find to move first. The logic behind that, if we can move SAP, there's no excuse for other application owners to not move to the cloud. Amen, right? So that, that's what we talk about in the high-level architecture piece. It's really understanding what we're looking at today. Uh, and architecture is a little bit misleading. It's not necessarily a, a nuts and bolts diagram of servers and networks. Uh, it could be a, a, a flow diagram or a business process diagram of what you're trying to move as well. Uh, once we've got that understanding, this is where we dive down a little bit deeper into the application assessment. If it's a single workload, then this becomes a, a very contiguous process. If it's actually multiple workloads, then that's when we'll step into a, a, an iterative process where we move through them to kind of gather that information up front. And the output of this is what we call the, the readiness assessment. Where are you? Where do you need to get to? What do we think it takes to get there? And from that point, we move into the cloud blueprint. Uh, and again, this is, this is uh, another step down, right? So we've gone beyond the high-level detail. We're moving a little bit more into to the specifics. Uh, so the first step is the detailed architecture, right? At this point, we've got enough information to know what we're up against, to know what we're trying to achieve. So we figure we can go and fill in the blanks, right? Give you more of a detailed architecture, describe exactly what it is we're going to talk about building with you in the cloud. Uh, and the key thing there is building with you, right? Not for you. Uh, again, when I was talking about CCOEs, uh, by the way, cloud centers of excellence, too many buzzwords. Um, the, the, the one thing that I always try and hammer home with people is the fact that this needs to be a joint journey, a partnership. You can't just outsource everything to a company with no help whatsoever from your organization and expect it to be successful. You always end up being a little bit disappointed because you won't get exactly what you wanted because you weren't bought in to that process. So creating that detailed architecture so you know what we're going to build with you that will then typically lead into costing and a return on investment model, right? So we can help you understand what the upfront, what the ongoing costs are going to be, when you can expect to see that return on investment on that workload. It also helps people make decisions, right? At some point, you might stop at the cloud blueprint level and actually back out and say, look, this workload is not so suitable. The return on investment is going to be minimal. We'd like to step out of this and find another workload. And that's the beauty of this kind of iterative cycle of Cloud Guide is that you can move through with an application and drop out at a point that you decide is not applicable anymore. And, and we do do that with customers, right? One of the things that I'm very, very adamant about with our teams is uh, I'm not there to crowbar every single workload you've got onto AWS, right? Forcing something onto AWS that isn't a good fit is invariably going to end up with disappointed customers and bad feeling between us and the, the customer we're trying to partner with. Uh, so ultimately, if we think something is a really bad idea, we will tell you. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have heard, I, I think they've changed it from five to six now, but the, the six Gartner R's that describe kind of the, the journey of, uh, of an application into cloud. So I'm going to try and remember them off the top of my head. It's uh, rehost, replatform, refactor, rearchitect, replace, or retire. And I think I probably mangled those. I can only get one. You can only get one. Okay. Useful. I don't follow my own rules. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so costing an ROI model, this is the point at which we'll give you uh, much more detail around what to expect. And then we talk about migrations and operational planning, right? So if this is an existing workload, which typically they are, how are we going to get you there, right? That could be us helping you do the migration. We have migration capability that we've built at the request of customers. You know, we started off just helping customers get there themselves. Some customers want us to do more of the heavy lifting for them, so we built that capability. Um, but this is the point at which we help articulate that journey for you with regards to that application, right? So how are you going to migrate it? Once you get it there, what's your operational model for it? Uh, and this could be, depending on the, the type of company that we're, we're partnering with, this could be you know, an ITIL-based kind of very strict operational model, or it could be more of an agile model. There's no right or wrong answer when it comes to that, uh, as long as you're diligent about the way you plan for your operational maintenance of that application. So typically, this will include things like a test plan um, as an output to this, uh, a gap analysis of what you will and won't get out of that cloud platform piece, uh, a proof of concept, usually at this stage, is what we're talking about with customers. Right? So you're not going to migrate a production workload as your first thing. We'll talk about maybe doing a proof of concept with you at this point to help you get some of that warm, fuzzy feeling around what you're going to do with the cloud. Uh, and then things like the, the migration and ops planning, you know, that can be things like monitoring, data movement planning, DevOps planning, DevSecOps planning, if you want to add more uh, trendy words in there. Um, you know, typically security planning, because that's usually most customers' biggest concern. And the output is going to be a, a project plan, a detailed project plan with timelines and costs around how we can work together to move that. At that point, is into execution, Cloud Path. How do you actually get there? So. When we move into Cloud Path, it's, it's about the, the deliverables, right? Automation, templates, code. We like to build everything as infrastructure as code. We think that's a, a, a best practice. We're very opinionated about that. Uh, we build a lot of it for customers. We have a lot of standards and best practices that we've codified into our reusable templates. Uh, we use CloudFormation. We use Terraform. So we can help you build that automation uh, and run that. We'll talk about, it says dev and test here. I, I tend to think of it more as pre-production environments. Right, so it could be dev and test, it could be operational acceptance, it could be any number of environments that you need to do, but we'll, we'll help you build those out, get it deployed, go through testing, uh, environment validation before you get onto a production uh, environment. Right? So making sure that you're comfortable with what's happened and how we've ended up at that point. You get into a production environment and then you run through user acceptance testing. It's kind of end-to-end -end the path that we talk about. Sounds very simple, sounds like four simple steps. It's usually a lot more involved, especially if you're running multiple workloads simultaneously. But it's the same set of steps every time. Right? So uh, AWS talks a lot about migration factory capability. We've built a migration factory capability. That what, what that really is is a nice name for accelerating because you have a repeatable process and you learn every time you go through that process. Beauty of Cloud Path is it is, it is a simple way of describing that iterative process that you can learn from and accelerate. And then once you get through Cloud Path and you're there, your application is up and running in production on the cloud, you're in what we call the, the Cloud Pilot phase. Uh, this is the part where you're typically in managed service with us. Now, to, to be really clear, we do have some customers that don't want to go with managed service when we move them through this process. Right? We can deliver this as a pure professional services engagement with customers uh, with no expectation about ongoing managed service because customers are self-sufficient. We can help them with some of our expertise with their operational planning, their migration, and then they can go and run it themselves. Sometimes they come back to us and say it's actually more painful than we thought it was going to be. Can you help us? Sometimes they don't. 
but what's important is that you follow this phase whether you're with us or not as a managed services customer. When it's with us, it's a high touch kind of deal. We are very, very keen around maintaining really good, close relationships with the business and the technical owners of the, the workloads that we run for you. We have regular application and workload reviews. You will find we built a lot of tooling. Right? AWS is incredibly powerful. It provides the primitives to do all sorts of operational financial planning and reviews and, and optimizations. We built a lot of tooling and expertise around helping customers do that. And that's the high touch part of it. If you're an aviator customer, I almost call it white gloves. Right? You get someone that's there with you the whole way through the journey and the whole way through the life cycle of that application. Touching on that, continued optimization. We don't just move you to the cloud and leave you there, and this is gonna lean into what we're talking about later on. Uh, well, Eric will be talking about in a moment with an example of an application. Groundhog Day is about doing the same thing over and over until you get it right. You don't necessarily want to be doing that for 6,000 days. Right, you want to be able to iterate and move forward and get to a point where you're ready and continued optimization, whether that's going, and I'm going to steal some of your thunder, Eric, sorry. I knew you, well, you were going to. Yeah, well, I'm your boss, I'm allowed. That's true. Um, whether that is moving from EC2 instances to containers or from containers to serverless, any other kind of uh, combination of some of the new technologies. I mean, the, the keynote yesterday, there was some amazing stuff that came out, uh, out of that keynote. Things like Aurora Serverless is going to be hugely impactful for people. You know, so we're very excited about that. But it's this continued optimization. You can't just stop. You have to carry on. Because if you lift and shift into the cloud, you're not going to get the benefits of cloud. And even if you do transform and then you leave it there, decisions you make today will not be valid and correct in 12 months based on what's changed on the cloud platform. And we talk about this a lot. This is our, I guess, our, our selling point, right? Fanatical support. I don't know if anyone has actually been a Rackspace customer in the past or is currently. Any show of hands? No one prepared to admit to it? There you go. Thank you. Um, fanatical support is our way of describing uh, the, the fact that we're in this together with you, right? You will find that there will be a racker on the end of the phone. We call ourselves rackers, and I apologize for that. Uh, but you will be, there will be a racker on the end of the phone, 24 by 7, to be there with you if there's an outage, if there's some kind of problem. You don't just cut a ticket and then kind of you get an automated response back and leave it. We're fanatical in the way we deliver our support because it means something to us, right? We care about the success of our customers. The more successful they are, the more successful we are. And we talk about fanatical support as the way we deliver this. So that being said, I said it was a simple four-step approach. Probably not quite so simple as I try and make it out to be. The most important thing about this, this ties into Groundhog Day, is the fact that this is an iterative process. Right? You can take an application and move it through Cloud Guide, be up and running, and then six months later, you might decide to come back and go all the way through Cloud Guide again. Right? You go and you actually go, right, let's survey what we're doing, let's draw up a blueprint, let's make a path for optimization, and then let's go implement it. It's important that we, we do this regularly with our customers. We make it a point. It's, it's not like a a thing we do on, on demand. We proactively reach out to customers and try and help them do this because we think it's important that you constantly have that evolution in what you're doing. And at that point, I don't know if anyone needed any translation, but at that point, I'm going to shut up for a few minutes and let Eric talk to you about an actual architecture and how it kind of evolves on the way through this process. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. So let me ask you a question. How many of y'all, and, and you probably, probably most of y'all probably don't know the answer, but how many of y'all are on AWS right now? 
Okay. How many of y'all are looking at AWS? Okay. Always a few of those as well. It's a good place to be for that. Hopefully, we can give you some, some information. Um, you kind of get this idea, and, and what we're talking about is it's this iterative state, right? It's always moving, and we're going to walk through that in just a minute here. Um, we talk about an example of, a, of an architecture. But to, to understand the cloud and take the best advantage of the cloud, you get into your mindset of moving on, moving forward. I can't stay here. I have to keep moving, or I'm immediately behind. Um, I'll tell a quick story here because I think we've got a little time, and James can't stop me now. So uh, I remember I, I told you I have five kids, right? So four of my five kids are just like me. They have bald hair and goatee. <laughs> now, they have one figure just like I do. And this isn't a sob story. I'm very happy about being that way. I, I didn't wake up that way this morning because I wouldn't be standing here speaking. <laughs> I'd be somewhere you know, in a hospital or something. But it's, it's something that we, you know, we kind of celebrate in our family. But it's not something that we, you, know, you kind of have to choose that. You kind of have to move on. You can stay there, just call it, well, this is as good as it's going to get, or you can move on. So my, I've always made jokes, as you said, and, and one of the jokes, you know, people ask me, you know, where are your fingers? One of my favorites, oh, they're home in a box in the freezer. And, and I like saying that because it's always fun, because when you say that, nobody's going to argue with you. <laughs> I've never had one person go, no, they're not. Most people go, oh, oh uh, that makes sense. Okay, I'll see you later. And, and the conversation's over, right? So when my oldest son was five, six years old, right around that area. We were driving home, and they're in the back seat, and I'm staring off into space, you know, because I'm driving. And uh, if you've ridden with me at all, I shouldn't be driving. Let me pause for a minute. We have a white square that we have to stay in up here, and, and it is the biggest challenge of my life, because I walk, and I have horrible balance. So if I just fall down, Amazon's fault. So, um, <laughs> sorry, that was, well, this is a disclaimer. So, um, so anyway, so we're driving along. He's in the back seat. They're in the car seat. His slightly younger brother is with him. And out of the blue, he says, hey, Dad, let me ask you a question. Okay, what you got? See, where are the rest of my fingers? Man, I didn't miss a beat. They're at home in a box in the freezer. And then it was like, <gasps> my wife's going to kill me. And you could see it turning over in his head. Literally, it's like, well, well could I have him back? It's always funny to go, no, your mom won't let you. <laughs> well, she's like, would you stop saying that? But you can see he kind of had this, this challenge of, wow, this is how I am. This is what we got. And in my family, we teach, you move on. It is what it is, you move on. And it's the same with architecture. A lot of times we deal with architecture where people get there and they go, it's as good as it gets. And that can be done two ways. Like, hey, this is as good as it gets. We're the best there is. Or there's, this is as good as it gets. We're not going to get any better. We're just going to survive. And I've worked for that company. Again, I'm a background in develop. I'm a developing. <laughs> I'm a, I have a background in developing. Wow, that was really bad. Not in it? speaking or English. start so. all over. My name is Eric Johnson. This is James Cow. Uh, so, yeah, my background is, is developing. I do have a background in speaking. I'm just not showing that off right now. Um, and, and I've worked for that company where I was terrified to change code. Anybody been there? Yeah? Okay. Every one of you have. You're just all liars. It's scary. 
You, because you shouldn't call your audience liars. Probably not. Um, but it's scary because you change the code and you know because it's so monolithic, it's so intercoupled, it's so intertwined that you're going to break something. And that's what we want to try to get away from. We want to move on. It's never as good as it gets. It can always get better. And that's, that's really the philosophy of the cloud. Optimization, transformation. Let's, let's talk through a little bit. We're, we're going to talk through an example of what that looks like. So we're going to use this kind of architecture that I, that I got to make up because it's fun. When you're making stuff up, it gets to go how you want, right? Everything works and the code is perfect. So, so we're going to use this example customer. This example customer has two workflows that they're running. One is the sales and ordering. And the, you know it's down here too. I, I'm it trying is, to yeah. see around the speaker. One is the sales and ordering and the other is fulfillment. And, and, so the, and, the, and the data crosses back and forth. So they need to be able to talk back and forth between these data. Um, the sales and ordering is, that's their big one. This one needs a lot of power. That's their public one. The, the fulfillment is more of an, of an internal one, but it's two workloads, okay? Now, one of the things at Rackspace we like to do is we don't like to look at companies and say, what are you doing? We like to look at workloads, okay? Because workloads look different, and, it, and there's not one size fits all. You look at the workload level and say, and, and I like to approach customers this way. It's not how are you doing it. It's what are you trying to do, okay? And the difference there is I'm the expert. Well, I'm probably not, but there's guys in my room that are the expert. I have some expertise. You've come to me at Rackspace to say, how do we do this? And so if I ask you, well, what are you doing now? Let's just do the same thing. That doesn't help you out. We're going to help you try to figure out what's the best way of doing this. So we look at workloads individually to figure out how's that going to match? How, what does that look like on AWS? What, what are the best services? And boy, they just gave us a bunch of new ones to look at. So, so that's, that's our, our kind of our mock infrastructure that we're looking at. And I will tell you as we climb into this, you'll see some of the, some of the infrastructure. These are very common pieces that we deal with. You know, from, from, from Windows to Linux to, you know, different things like that. Very common architectures that we deal with. All right, so our ordering system is just a series of, of VMs, right? And they're all Windows, okay? So maybe we're running .NET, something like that, okay? Our, our database is SQL Server. Uh, and, and then our fulfillment system is also VMs. We're, run, we're running boxes. We're not, we don't have containers. We don't have serverless. Uh, we're running boxes. And I tell you, that's still very, very common. How many of y'all are running serverless right now? Okay, not a lot. Any containers in the room? Okay, how many of y'all are running VMs? Okay, yeah, it's still very common. That's not a bad thing. That's a common thing. That's where we're at, okay? And so we, so, so we look at that. And we're, for, for our identity, for our security, we're using uh, Active Directory, okay? So what that looks like in an existing application is we have boxes spun up. We have two for Active Directory, so we're redundant. We've got multiple for our ordering system. We don't have as many, but we're running Linux for our fulfillment system. This is what it looks like on-premise or in our data center or something like that. Very common. So the customer comes to us and says, okay, here's what we're trying to do. We want to take these workloads, we want to put them in the cloud. So one of the first things we're going to do, uh, you know, much like James was talking about, is we're going to look at doing a lift and shift, okay? Now, you may just say, well, wait, wait, I thought you said lift and shift, you know, or, or this just getting on the cloud is enough. That's true, but we need to get there. And now I can sit down with you as a customer and go, if you do these 37 things over the next year, I can get you massively optimized on the cloud. And as a customer, what are you going to do? I'll see you later. Yeah, thanks for your help. 
you know, that doesn't help us. We want to move now. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a lift and shift, okay? So let's look at, at uh, what that's, what that's going to look like. Fast tracking my workloads to the cloud. Just get me on. Because once we get you on the cloud, then we're incredibly agile. Regardless of your workload, we have a lot more agility than having to pre-provision boxes, order stuff, build them up, all those kind of things. All right. So this is what the, our, our application is going to look like in, in Windows, and in, in, I'm sorry, in, in AWS. Okay. And we're going to take take advantage of some some kind of low-hanging fruit right off the bat. Okay. I'm doing a lift and shift. So I brought over, I've spun up a couple of instances for my identity. I got my, uh, in, in my uh, ordering system, I'm still Windows, but here's the first thing I get to take advantage of most of the time. That's the caveat, little, little asterisk there, okay? Most of the time, there are some applications that will not work with auto scaling, uh, but we have answers for that. We look at auto, auto recovery and different things like that. But hopefully, my, my application, because I made this up, it is auto recovery friendly. Or I'm sorry, auto-scaling friendly. So that's one of the low-hanging fruits I'm going to do. And the reason for that is I was in the white box. So the reason for that is I want to be elastic right away. Okay, one of the issues we have when, we, when we're on-premise and we're building out architectures, we have to build for the most load, don't we? We don't get the joy of saying, just put two boxes up, it'll be fine. We have to build for the most load. Well, the cloud says, I don't have to do that. I'm going to build, I'm, I'm going to just build for a couple boxes out there, and then I'm going to set some metrics around that that are going to cause my, my, work, my uh, application to be elastic. So I get more traffic, what happens? More servers are added, all right? But here's the thing that a lot of people don't think about. More servers are added, and that's great, but what happens if my traffic reduces? Those servers go away. And that's important, right? Because, yeah, we, more servers better. We handle more load. More servers are out there. We don't have that load. We're paying a lot of money on the cloud. But that goes away, right? So elasticity is huge, back and forth, okay? So we, we're able to do on the ordering system, we're able to do auto scaling on the, on the web uh, site. We're able to do it on the API. Uh, and then for our, for our database, because this is just a lift and shift, we've just brought our databases over on top of of uh, EC2 instances. We've wrapped some alarms around databases don't play friendly with, uh, with uh, auto-scaling. Can't do that. So instead, we're going to auto-restart these if we need to, and that's what that alarm metric is there. So we've introduced uh, you know, Amazon EC2 here. We've introduced Amazon CloudWatch. We're doing the same kind of things on our fulfillment. Uh, on our fulfillment, I kind of threw in a little, little hook that, that uh, on the API, that's not, that's not auto-scaling friendly. So we're going to need to auto-restart that. It's our fulfillment center. If it goes down, the end of the world isn't there. But I still want it to come back up, right? All right, finally, uh, the SQL instances are also running on databases. So this is, this is basically essentially you know, the, the core of a lift and shift. Uh, and, and that's what that looks like. Now, if you stop here, how much advantage do you think you're getting on the cloud? Some, you're getting the auto scaling. That's huge. We talked about that. There are some quick wins. Okay? You're getting the auto-scaling, you're getting the alerts, you're getting management tools and things like that. But this is where we say, as, as Rackspace, we come in and go, okay, now we've got you over there, what's next? Moving forward. Okay? So what we're going to do is the next thing we're going to talk about is optimizing. Now, uh, I'm sorry, we're going we're to finish out the lift and shift really quick. I, I, wanted, I wanted to explain one other thing on this. Yeah, at Rackspace, when we move things over, that first part of lift and shift is something that we see 
where people move it over. The second thing is we will come in and, and try to change out your databases as well. Okay, and that's one of the important things. Like I showed, I showed the instances because that's, that's kind of the first move. But a real low-hanging fruit and a real quick way of doing a lift and shift is to take your databases and moving them on to RDS, which is uh, Amazon's relational database service. Okay, so that's going to allow you to do, uh, you know, get, get redundancy and reliability out of your database with a lot less management because one of the things we're looking to do is less management, right? And it also cost-wise, it, it can work out better for you because you're not trying to license MS SQL if you're doing MS SQL on instances, which is expensive. So you still license on RDS, but it's written into that on-demand cost, right? All right, so that's that. Now, there are other services. We talked about adding RDS in here and things like that. There are other services that can be part of the lift and shift. And I want to kind of throw these out there, things you're not really seeing that I didn't put in the diagram, but some wins that you get with the lift and shift. The VPC for security. You've got elastic load balancing for obviously you know, spreading the load across the instances. VPN gateway for external traffic. Uh, direct connect if you're connecting through your, through your VPN. Uh, and, and on and on and on. But there's tools that just right off the bat you get. They're just there to use to handle standard network architecture, traffic flow, security, uh, elasticity, and different things like that. All right, so I teased you earlier, really is this time. Let's talk about optimization. Optimization is, is starting to make my application cloudy. And we call this optimization because it's, or the way I look at it is, optimization is, is again, it's more low-hanging fruit, it's generally architectural changes without a lot of cloud or without a lot of code changes alrighty because when you start having to change the code it starts getting harder doesn't it you start having to go okay but on Amazon you can take advantage of things by just changing your architecture a little bit so let's see what that looks like so the first thing well let me rephrase that it's it's not no code changes but little to no code changes sometimes you may have to change an endpoint sometimes you have to make change some things but it's generally lower Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to change in our identity is we're going to stop using instances to run Active Directory. We're going to use Amazon's Active Directory service and it's integrated with IAM. And with this, we've all of a sudden got this massively granular security built in. Okay, and we have a lot of control that we can use on that. Um, on the ordering system, you'll notice there's no longer any services sitting there. Now I have what I'm calling a host bucket. Did, did anybody know, I'm sure some of you did, how many of y'all know you can host a website in S3? All right, there's some hands. How many of you didn't know? Okay, beauty of S3 is I can, it's a server. Now it's, it's, there's only a specific site or type you can host there and that's what we call a static site. It's not gonna do PHP or .NET or anything like that. But, but one of the general flows that we're seeing in Websites, or one of the patterns we're seeing are spa or client websites, right? Excuse me one second. Where what we do is we're host, we're running JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, and that's our website, and that's just the client. And the client then goes out and talks to our API for data, right? And that's what our ordering system does. So in our ordering system, we're able to move that into a host bucket which is automatically scalable because it's S3. You get the, you get the power of S3, so I no longer have to, have to worry about elasticity. And I've now become serverless on this, meaning it's transactional billing. Okay? 
Think about that for a second. When I'm running EC2 instances, I have a minimal amount of at least what it costs to run my EC2 instances for 31 days a month, or an average of 31 days, right? Per hour, now per second, if you're starting that. But if you're running them all the time, you know this is the least amount I'm going to pay. And it's going to be flexible because, of my, because I'm auto-scaling, but it's never going to go below here. But when I move to S3, I've gotten rid of the hourly, monthly billing, and I've moved to transactional. Okay? So I only pay for what I use. So what happens is that makes a pretty massive drop. Now, you'll see it spike up, but when it's not running, you're not paying a dime. That's huge. Okay, that's, a, that's a good place to start saving. All right, in front of that, I put a distribution. I'm going to save even more because I'm going to cash stuff out. This is through, uh, we're, we're introducing uh, Amazon CloudFront. And so with that, I get to, to cash that out, and, and it also will provide me with my domain name, SSL offloading, things like that. So you have a lot of power with that. All right. Next thing I've done is in my API, I've left that alone, I've, uh, my database. So that's pretty much what we've, what we've changed out is moving the host bucket, doing the optimization, and then the identity. That's optimization. Very little architectural change. I didn't have to change any code to host it in that bucket. I just simply had to change where I'm putting it. All right, so let's talk about the next step. This is what we call transformation. And this is where you start taking full advantage of cloud architecture. This is where it really starts to set in, okay? This is where, I mean, this is where you get to play with the things that have been announced stuff. So let's take an example, or take a look and see what an example of that looks like. All right, so first of all, we're gonna stay in the ordering system. Our identity is as optimized as it's gonna get, okay? Unless we, unless we get rid of it and go, you know, everything open, which is, you know, not smart. But um, so on our ordering system, let's move into the API. So what I know is I can run, instead of running this monolithic application, okay, how many of y'all think you have a monolithic application right now? Yeah, that hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Instead of monolithic, I'm going to go to a microservices architecture. Okay, and what that means is, and we'll go into a little bit on what microservice means, but it's, it's really breaking it down and, and it's, it's, you know, my service does one thing and it does that one thing really well, single responsibility. Okay, and I create lambdas as I need it. So what I can do on, on the API side of the ordering system is I can say I'm going to put an API gateway in front, of a, in front of a lambda. And I may have it pointing to seven or eight lambdas. I may have a user lambda, a client lambda, a login lambda, or whatever. The lambda's handling different services, okay? So I've gotten rid of my servers, okay? The only servers I'm running are in my data, and, and AWS is managing that, okay? So again, in my API, and I've done the same thing over on the fulfillment side for the, for the API, I've now moved to transactional billing, and it's very fast. Okay. It's also Lambda scale on their own. You don't have to manage that. Okay. So you're no longer dealing with worrying about architecture, worrying about API images, things like that, or AMI images, sorry. Um, you have this power of API gateway. Now we did another thing in the, in the hosting uh, on the fulfillment side. On my fulfillment side, I need to render code out of a node application. All right. So I'm not able to host it in a bucket, but I don't want to do servers anymore. It's an Express app. Express is a very common framework in, in Node. So you know what I can do? I can run that in a AP or, or a Lambda. I can run a full Express application from Lambda. Now there are some times you go, oh, I don't think I want to do that. That's huge. And you're probably right. You know, we, we don't want to run, you know, we don't have to load up gigabytes every time. 
but expresses very fast and, and you keep this very small, you can render that HTML out and, it'll, and that's your server. So you have the power to scale with Lambda, but, but uh, you don't have to run servers there anymore either. And you could do that on several different architectures. So that's something to look at as well. Put an API gateway in front of that. Always put an API gateway in front of them because you get a lot of routing, caching, uh, you know, all that kind of thing with API gateways. It's, 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 a, it's a very cool tool. All right, so that pretty much is, explains what we do in a transformation for the moment, okay? What did I say earlier? Always moving forward, right? And transformation's kind of the cycle. We've lifted and shifted, we've optimized, but in transformation, that's where we're gonna keep coming back and back. That's the arrow on the architecture, or on the graph that James showed. All right, now we wanna look at next. The question is always, what's next? Before we do that, I wanna talk real quick about what is monolithic versus microservices. And you, pro you probably kind of get this, but the idea is I have one application that handles all my functionality, okay? And really what you want is you want to start breaking that functionality out so that it can start working on its own. You want to have it decoupled. And decoupled means I don't want them reliant on each other. In fact, they shouldn't even know about each other. And you might be asking yourself, whoa, 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 how's that going to work? What if this lambda needs to talk to this lambda? You, well, there's things to handle that. If you, how many of y'all in developing, how many of y'all have heard of pub sub or, or queuing? Okay. The same goes for architecture. You can talk between architecture through SQS, through the new queuing system that, that uh, Amazon just released, through SNS, that's pub sub. So you, what you want, and, and so the whole idea here, you think, man, that, that's a lot of work, Eric. Why would I do that? The reason you would do that is you're trying to reduce your blast radius. If one of my services go down, I need my other services to stay up, okay? And then I can fix that. So that's the reason. I mean, that's, that's really, that's the whole reason of, of the, the single responsibility and, 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 and different things like that is, is making sure that, you know, you, your blast radius is reduced, okay? Also, you want to go dry. You don't want to repeat yourself. You have one thing doing that one thing really well, this other thing shouldn't do it. It should just farm it up to this, right? So that's what it looks like. So what you do is you take these different processes, you break them out into their own lambdas, and now you have a microservice architecture. It's just as simple as that. Anybody think it's simple? It's not always simple. We talk with a lot of companies that they're, you know, well, the interdependency is so strong. This is where you have to get skin in the game. It really is. This is where the code has to change. So you got to get in there and say, okay, how do I break that apart? Okay, because that's reality. If you want to take full advantage, this is the steps you really need to take. Monolithic applications in Amazon run just fine, but they don't take the most advantage of cloud as you can. Something to keep in mind. All right, so back to transformation. We already, we already did one step. Let's do another step. What are some ideas that we can do? Well, so the next thing we're going to look at doing is we're going to introduce SNS and SQS, just like I talked about. With SNS and SQS, I'm able to broadcast changes. So Lambda 1 says, hey, I need to update this email, broadcast it to the topic. Lambda 2 subscribes to that topic and says, oh, okay, I got it, I changed it. And then he'll send it out or do something like that. So there's a lot of architecture patterns that you can do that PubSub comes very important. Queuing is another thing. There's, there's several types of queues. Uh, first of all, there's, there's just a standard SQS queue where I put it in. And the, and the pattern here is 
one, one service writes to the queue, and another service will go out and check that, and they queue up, okay? Um, and then and as you grab them, then you mark it as done, and then it's removed from the queue. Excuse me one moment, please. Is this your water? If I have an accent tomorrow, I'm going to be so mad. You could have one finger tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just saying. It'd be worse for me. So, sorry to any of the Brits in the room. I apologize. So, um, so, so that's what you're looking at. You're, you're starting to take. You're starting to see the pattern we're talking about here. You're starting to take advantage of the cloud. You're starting to say, okay, what are the services that I can do to start offloading the work and to start reducing my blast radius and start increasing my flexibility? Okay, and, and by taking advantage of the services they've got, you're able to do that. So let's look a little bit closer at the, at the, uh, at the queuing and stuff. This kind of gives you an example of what I was talking about. Where the queuing, the, you know, the API gateway or lambdas can talk to the queue, and then you have a lambda that runs those jobs like we talked about. Whereas pub sub is, when a lambda pushes it to it, it pushes the message out to the other one. So it's kind of a one-directional. Um, so you get that idea. And this may be, some of you may be going, yeah, we get that. But I talked to a lot of people, it's like, oh, I've never heard of that. Uh, they they kind of live in a synchronous world where they're, lo they're locked in. Customers are waiting for, for something to return. So, so, so decoupled communication with SQS and SNS is critical. It helps out a lot. Okay? All right, let's look at another type of transformation. In this one, we're going to do, we're going to start looking at database. Okay? So a database, this is where we look at Dynamo. And Dynamo now... Uh, you know, now it has global tables. I mean, gosh, we're, we're taking over the world after yesterday. You know what I mean? So if you look at this architecture, all we've done here is we've taken our two servers out. We've become entirely serverless. Yes, we were using RDS, and that we didn't have to ma maintain that. But now we're not running any instances. We are completely serverless, and we're running Dynamo on one side. And we were running servers for Aurora, but now, are we run now we're running serverless Aurora, aren't we? because they announced it yesterday. That's pretty amazing. So now I've got these two serverless databases. So what does that give us? Well, so you notice we run, this is gonna take some code changes. This is gonna take some data schema changes. And I might use uh, you know, the data migration tool to do that, that that Amazon offers, or I might do it on my own. Um, but what I'm gonna do here is I have the ability, I've changed it from MS SQL, I've gone to, to a, uh, a NoSQL database, to a document database. Now. It, does anybody use a DynamoDB in the room? Okay, a couple of you. Very fast. Here's, here's some things I would tell you about Dynamo real quick. Number one, it is not a Mongo replacement. I hear that a lot. Yeah, it's just like Mongo. It's transparent. Hook that up, see how that works. <laughs> it's not working. The second thing, it, it is in that it's a NoSQL and that it's a document database, but it's got a different, you, you, you abstract that layer. It's got a different interface and it handles some things a little differently. The second thing, and this is my caution to you, is Dynamo's amazing, but if done wrong, it can be very expensive. There's a video that I would, I would encourage you to look it up. It was on last year's uh, reInvent. It's Deep Dive into Dynamo. It was amazing, and it gives some great patterns on how to do Dynamo and how that works. I would encourage you all to watch it if you want to get into Dynamo. Now, we talk about how this is going to work. Now, you notice that I've got DynamoDB, and then I've got a little parentheses, DAX. This is the Dynamo Accelerator. This means that most of your database will be in cache. Okay, So you've got a serverless approach to this, going through Lambda, using API Gateway. It's hitting DynamoDB. Most probably your data is cached. How fast do you think that response is? 
in the, it's in those single milliseconds, isn't it? Yeah, you're getting a really good response here. It's a lot faster than running three CTUs and, and, and some of the database stuff like that. But I've had to change from SQL to NoSQL. And that's not always going to work. I get that. You know, it, on the other side, we stayed with Aurora because we still need to be in SQL. But these are some patterns you can look at doing just to kind of show what's going on. Um, so those are kind of the changes here. All right, let's look at another transformation, and we'll be out of time here shortly. But So this is the last transformation I'm going to show you. And I like this one. I just started using this here a while back, and this is a lot of fun. You'll notice on the, on the ordering system side, there's no more lambdas. Now, cool thing about my data when I'm calling in my ordering system, and because I made it up, I get to do this, uh, and it, but it's actually pretty realistic. A lot of times with data, when we're calling data, really all we're doing is we're making, we're, we're calling that data and we're, we're just making a transformation in the lambda. This is how the request came in, but this is what it needs to look like to get the data, right? So instead of using a lambda to do that, I can do transformation, request transformations right on API Gateway, okay? And, and with that request transformation, then I don't even need the Lambda. However, I can offload my security to my API gateway. They have a thing called a security uh, checker. That's not the right word. But anyway, you, it's, a it's a way to check and make sure you're logged in. And you can use Cognito, user pools, you can handwrite one, federated, all kinds of things. But it will identify and authenticate your user for you or make sure they're authenticated and then it will work with DynamoDB. So what you've done, and lambdas are very fast, okay? But what you've done is removed even the couple of milliseconds that it might have taken that lambda to run, and you've transformed at the API gateway level, you've made the request, and then you can transform the data back or to another format on the response. And so you've got, you're reading from DynamoDAX API gateway, and you're talking seriously low milliseconds in, in response time. So this has been kind of the pattern as we're walking through what does it look like to go from a lift and shift all the way to here's where I'm at. And every time at the end of it we say, okay, what's next? Well, you know, I could probably change out my databases or I can move to API Gateway or, you know, I really don't need that Lambda or what other service. What I'm not representing on here, and I have nothing against them, it's just not the route I went on this particular uh, talk, is containers. So your question at the end of this transformation is, okay, what's next? Well, let's look at serverless containers with Fargate. Or let's use Kubernetes because I want to be able to maybe run it, uh, you know, on a hybrid locally in my cloud or, or jointly with another cloud or something like that. Excuse me. And so the, 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 the point here to not get stuck in Groundhog Day is to continue to ask yourself, what's next? And when you climb into this, and, and, and this doesn't show any of the new services because, you know, we didn't have access to them at the, at the time because nobody did. But you think about, you know, different things like ECR and ECS if you want to do containers. Amazon S3, there's a lot you can do with like Athena, you know, doing scans against Athena. Um, Glacier, now you have select on Glacier, S3 select and S3 select on Glacier, which can give you access to large data sets that don't cost a lot of money to store. Elastic Cache. Redshift, man, if you're doing large data sets, Redshift is amazing. Uh, if you need to do functionality against that, you know, EMR, if you need to run jobs, EMR works well. Um, you know, and then, and then down here at the bottom, I've got, you know, AWS Step Functions. 
And then, how many of y'all know what AWS SAM is? Okay, a couple of people in here. AWS SAM is the AWS server application model. And yes, that is the logo. James did not believe me. That is the logo. It's a squirrel. Okay. And then the rest of them are, that, oh, the rest of these are uh, basically the CI CD pipelines. Optimization transformation means you're automated, right? We didn't spend a lot of time on that, but I would encourage you. Automation is critical, and the tools, all the tools you need to do automation in AWS are built right in. Um, so with that, what I want to do, we have a couple of minutes, and I don't know if you want to round, you want to say anything? Um, maybe about our car. That's you. I'm sure that's you. Sounded English. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, we'll stick around for the questions at the end. We've only got about two and a half minutes left. I'm going to stand a little bit closer, so Eric. That's really sorry awkward. About that. um, thank you very much for taking the time out. We appreciate there's a lot of stuff to come and see at reInvent. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Enjoy replay. Thank you. Thanks, guys.